welcome to Nova Church. We're glad that you're here. If you are newer visiting, uh, like like Pastor Emily was saying, we're so glad that you're here. We love having new people at Nova. I, I'm going to drop this bottle, aren't I? Yeah, no, it's good. It's good. Uh, we love having new people at Nova, and we would love to connect with you, like she said. So go out to that yellow wall after the service. We're going to talk a little bit about that yellow wall. So keep that in your mind. It's right at the front doors, and it's going to be pretty important for some things that we're going to talk about today. But hey, uh, my name is Matt Lido. I'm on staff here at Nova, and so uh, I get the honor of preaching. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to the, to the book of Acts in chapter 2. We're going to go there together. Acts chapter 2, we're going there together. You know, we're in the middle of a series right now uh, here at Nova called Tables. And if you haven't been around, I don't want to say that you've missed out, um, but I would say that you should catch up. So you can go on our website. There's a little section that says messages. You can watch all of the messages from this series. It has been such an important series for the life of our church and where God is taking us as a church. And we've been looking at the idea that hospitality is not just about, like, you know, entertaining people. It's not just about, like, having people over and wowing them with your best recipe, you know. Like, when you invite someone over, how many people know you're not making, like, chicken noodle soup? You're like, I am putting it on. We're going to make some brisket or something. Something complicated that's difficult. Hospitality is not about making complicated recipes. It's not about having a perfectly curated house so that when people come over, they're like, wow, these people must be rich and have a lot of time clean, right? Hospitality in the way of Jesus is actually about something so much deeper. It's about something more. And we've been looking at this idea as Pastor Mike has been unpacking radically ordinary hospitality, that we're, we're facing so many things in our world that just simple acts of eating together, gathering around the table, having relationship, having community, it solves Or at least, at the very least, it helps to assist. And so we've been unpacking that together, and we believe that some of the issues that we're facing in 2023 can be addressed through this ancient practice in the life and way of Jesus. So as we read this together, let's read Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Now this is a synopsis, an overview of what the early church looked like. What's happened at this point is Jesus died on the cross. He was in the grave for a few days, rose from the dead, took the power of sin and death, conquered the grave forevermore, died for your sin, died for your shame, came back to life, revealed himself to his disciples. They're like, yes, now we're going to party. You're back with us. And he's like, yeah, now you're going to go and do the work. And they're like, what? And then he's like, okay, see ya. And disappears into heaven, ascends. And they're standing there like, what? And they're just like, he just came back. Where did he go? And then an angel appears and is like, what are you doing looking up? Guys, go and wait for the gift that he promised you. The Holy Spirit is going to come and fill you, live within you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is going to live within you. Go and pray. So these disciples, they go and pray. And they pray for a, a long time. Like we think a prayer meeting is long if it's like a couple of hours. No, they pray for weeks, right? Praying for the Holy Spirit, eating together, having meals together, worshiping together, singing songs and spiritual songs together. And then when the Holy Spirit falls, it falls in power. It says that there's a a sound like a rushing wind and tongues of fire come down and descend on the heads of these disciples. And that you can imagine, like that's a prayer meeting, right? Like when you're like, whoa, you're on fire, right? Like, but they're like, oh, 
Right, because in, we've seen in the Old Testament when the flame comes down, the Spirit of God, like in the burning bush, like over the, tab- or the altar, over the, the Ark of the Covenant, the same Spirit is here with us now, inhabiting me. And they spill out from this upper room, and they go down into the street, and they're speaking languages that they don't know how to speak, right? They come out, and there's in Jerusalem, there's this festival happening, so there's people from all over the world here. And they're like, whoa, they're speaking my language. How is it that these uneducated, anyone feel uneducated? Maybe you're not, I am. These simple, these unlearned disciples are speaking my language. They must be drunk. And Peter's like, I'm sorry, so... You think an uneducated person gets drunk and then is a linguist. This is not what's happening. And he explains what's happening. He says, this is the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. He explains what they did to Jesus. He preaches a message to the crowd. And get this, 3,000 people accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I mean, that's a day in church. You know what I'm talking about? Can you imagine what it would be like if a headline in Halifax, 3,000 people give their life to Jesus? We'd be like, revival, right? Like, it's happening. And this is what it says after that. They've seen the multitude come together. They've seen the big crowd respond in faith. And this is what it says they do. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Once a week? Not that much, all right? Imagine seven days a week. We're like, guys, come on in, 10 a.m. service, seven days a week. I have a feeling it might not go so well. But they came together every day in the temple courts. And then it says this, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily. Not weekly. Daily. Those who were being saved. I want to just take a second here and, and just recognize that this wasn't like writing something out in a Word document where you can highlight something and bold it and underline it and put it in italics. The way that ancient writers would emphasize something was through repetition. So look what Luke, writing this account, says three times. They ate together. They ate together. You see, the call to Christian community, to the church, We say it all the time. It's one of those nice little sayings. Do life together. But the way that we do life together is by breaking bread and eating together. So let's pray as we unpack this and understand this concept. As we look at, I want to title this message, Family Dinner. And we've been talking about the role that the table can play in reaching the lost. We've been talking about the role that the table can play in our own lives. But today I want to talk about the role that the table plays in church life and in church community. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for this morning and that you're already moving and you're at work in people's hearts. And Father, we pray that that would not stop, but that would continue. That my words would just fall to the floor, but your words, your truth, your conviction would take root in people's hearts and prosper. That it would flourish. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, quick show of hands. Who, who has just an appreciation for things that work well? 
Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, there's something about, like, hey, look, I bought this thing, and it does exactly what it's designed to do. That is so satisfying. Do you know what I'm saying? And on the opposite end of the spectrum is what happens when you buy something that doesn't work at all like it's supposed to work. Like, how frustrating is it when you go to the hardware store and you walk around Home Depot for, like, two hours because no matter what, no matter if you know exactly what you're getting, you're still like, where am I looking for this? And they're like, oh, that's over by the fans. You're like, why? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. But so you finally find the thing that you're looking for and you get it home and you're like, this is going to work, and you plug it in or, or you install it or whatever, and it doesn't work. There's nothing more frustrating than that. And maybe I'm just revealing a little bit of my own heart. But when something is designed poorly or it doesn't work the way that it's advertised, come on, show of hands, who, who that just gets under your skin? And so I had this encounter recently with, uh, I don't want to say the name of the company, so we're going to call them Ring-a-Ling-a-Ding-Dong Internet. And uh, so I'm like sitting at home, and Em's like, hey, let's watch a movie. And we go to put on a movie, and, and all of a sudden I get the wheel of death. You know what I'm talking about? And it's like buffering at like 99%. And I'm like, why get all the way to 99%? Just stall at 10%. Then I'll know it's not going to work. But it like gets all the way to 99%, and then it's like, hang on. Just keep waiting. Ring-a-ling-a-ding-dong. -a -ling -a -ding -dong, coming for you. It's happening. It's hap And you're just like, is the internet not working? And Em's like, and we wait like 30 seconds because we're not, patient anymore, right? I'm like, it's broken. It's broken. And she's like, okay, it's fine. Why don't we just play a game? And I'm like, mm. yeah, just check if your phone's working. And she's like, oh no, he's not listening anymore. Because now I'm like, something is not working the way that it's advertised. In fact, something is not working the way that I'm paying for it to work. So we need to solve this issue at nine o'clock at night. And I was like, why don't we just like play a game? And I'm like, no, just check on your phone. Do you have internet? And she's like, no, just, just data. And I'm like, oh, oh, what is happening? And then she's like, okay, let's just do a puzzle. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm doing a speed test. Who's ever done a speed test on your, so here's what it is if you don't know what it is. Speed test is where you go on your device, you go to a website and you just hit speed test. And it tells you how good or bad your internet is. And I pay for 500 megabytes per second internet. And it was 0.25 megabytes per second. And I was like, rage! Because I was like, I am paying for this product. And so I get in touch with Ring-a-Ling-a-Ding-Dong customer service. And when I get in touch with them, right, like I'm just waiting. And you're just like, don't kill the person on the other end of the line, right? And you're just like, have self-control. And then it's like, hi, how can I help you today? And I just lead right in. I'm like, hi, my name is Matt Lito. This is my account number. This is my address. And this is what's happening. He's like, okay, can we start with your account number? And I'm like, <sighs> right? Just help me, Jesus, right? In this moment. And after a little while of going through the rigmarole of ring-a-ling-a-ding-dong customer service, this guy finally goes, hey, are you not in Ontario? And I'm like, no. And he's like, oh, you need to go ring-a-ling-a-ding-dong alliant, all right? You need to go over there to that website. I'm not giving anything away. Hey, you can't sue me for that. No, nope, not a thing. But so I have this experience, and then I need to go over to the other customer service, and here's what they say to me. Everything seems fine on our end. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm paying for it, and it's not working. And they ask me this question, are you on Wi-Fi, or are you plugged directly in? Uh, I'm on Wi-Fi. Sorry, what was that? I'm on Wi-Fi. Because who is like, I'm just going to go plug my laptop into an Ethernet cable. 
right? Anyone in this room, you're like, I just need that crisp, fast 500 megabytes. No, we all use Wi-Fi. Why advertise a product that isn't meant for the way that we actually use it? But the way that they set it up, they said, our data speeds are only set for a wired connection. And I'm like, well, how do we fix this, Kevin? Right? Like, you're just so annoyed at the person on the other end. And they're like, I don't know. <laughs> and you're like, okay. Because they're like, from our end, you're getting exactly what you've paid for. We're delivering on our promise, but you're not using it in the right context. And I was like, thank you, Kevin. Just hang up the phone. Right? And then we played chess or something like that. We built a puzzle, whatever we did. Here's the thing when it comes to our faith. We need to understand the context of our faith if we're ever going to get what was actually advertised and promised. And I have a hard time saying advertised, but go with me when I say promised. Because we read the New Testament. We read the life of Jesus and the things that he promises and the abundant life that he says we're going to have and the freedom and the meaning and the purpose and the freedom from guilt and the power over sin. And we think we're going to have this incredible life of purpose and belonging and we're never going to be lonely again and we're going to experience all the beauty that is offered to us in the life and way of Jesus and then we read the accounts of Paul the Apostle, and he's like, hey, guys, love each other, bear each other's burdens, encourage each other, prophesy over each other, confess your sins to one another. And we're like, I feel like that's not the experience I'm getting. And the question is, are we on Wi-Fi? I love our service. I love church. If you know me, I, I'm there. If we start doing a night service, I'm there. We do a 6.30 in the morning service, I'm there. I love doing church services, but I just want us to consider that context is critical. You see, the Paul the Apostle and Jesus, when, he's, when they're giving us this teaching, when they're writing letters, James and Jude and all the other people who are writing letters in the New Testament, they're actually writing it to a very different context than the context that we understand to be this. You see, originally in the book of Acts, they ate together. It says it three times. The method of church was to eat together and do life together around a table to share life with one another and then go into the temple courts and celebrate. And after not too long, it actually became illegal to be a Christian. It gets outlawed. They start being persecuted. So you can imagine that the Christians weren't like, let's all just go down to the temple and advertise that we're Christians. The way that they outwork their faith, the way that they follow Jesus, the, the, the context that Paul the Apostle is writing to is small groups around a table coming together to share life together. And this changed over the years when all of a sudden Christianity became the dominant religion in Rome and they make it legal and make it the, the institutional uh, religion of the Roman Empire. And what ends up happening is that now we can come together. So all these Christians that have been meeting in homes and doing life together are like, how amazing is this? We're not going to die if we go out together. Like, this is incredible. And so they started meeting together in the old temples of the gods because they're not being used for worship like that anymore. So they took over what the culture had been using to meet together. And that ended up turning into the mass. And if you look at the architecture throughout time, it shifted from being all together around a table to a large building where we would sing together in unity 
and speak liturgy together in unity. And then it shifted again to a preacher up front delivering a message and a worship team up front leading a song. And that's pretty much where we're at now. So what happens when we read these promises in the way of life, the way of Jesus in the New Testament, is we can sometimes take our lens and turn it on the New Testament scriptures and, and try to imagine it the way that we do church now. Like, there's this very popular show about the life of Jesus, and uh, I, I enjoy the show. It's a great show, so I'm not knocking it in any way. But I will say this. At the end of the second season, there's a pretty rough scene where Jesus has been building up to the Sermon on the Mount, and his disciples build him, like, a nice stage, and they put up some, like, pipe and drape, and then Jesus is like hanging out back in the green room and Judas knows someone. So he like gets VIP access and is like, okay, hey, how's it going, everyone? He's like backstage with Jesus. And the crowd is growing out there and they're all just hanging out in the green room. And then all of a sudden, like you can picture the hype of this moment, right? And you can picture Peter walking out of me like, when I say mess, you say sire, mess, Right? And just hyping the crowd and being like, oh, ladies and gentlemen, the creator of the world, the Messiah himself, Jesus of Nazareth. And like Jesus comes through the pipe and drape and is like, what's up, everybody? Because that's what happens if we take our lens and we turn it on scripture. We imagine the writing of Paul being delivered to a large church body that meets together like this. And then we read scriptures like bear each other's burdens. Like I, I'm not even joking with you. I have actually had moments as a pastor where we've been like, you were in the hospital? How come we didn't know about that? And they're like, I don't know. I was there for three days. And you're like, what? Yeah, I had a pretty major invasive surgery. What? Because it doesn't necessarily work in the lobby, right? Or how about like confess your sins to one another? Yeah, like how do we do that in the lobby, right? You're like, Hey, uh, just keep this on the download, but I am struggling with some stuff, right? And I want to confess it openly to you, but I'm actually nervous about this environment. Or how about, like, the priesthood of believers? That by the Holy Spirit and by the equipping of the leadership, we actually are able to, as believers, do the ministry of the kingdom. That's what we're called to. But how do we do that in the lobby? We read about praying for the sick and seeing healings, and we got to understand that all of this was set to a context in a home around a table. And the celebration piece was what we do here on a Sunday, in addition to what was happening on tables. And over the past thousands of years, it's changed into a different model, but I want to encourage you this morning. There is nothing, I'm not moralizing or demonizing this model in any way, but what I am saying is if we are not connected to the router, if we're not actually going to the source, if we're not figuring out the context that it was actually intended for, we may find ourselves having connection issues. We may end up looking and looking at our lives compared to the New Testament believers and going, why is there a gap or maybe, maybe you're like, man, I've just been like, I've been in church for like six months and no one has talked to me. No one has invited me out. I'm feeling incredibly lonely. I'm not feeling connected. And I want to say to you, that's because this is very easy to just show up and disappear. 
It's easy to sit in the back row or the front row or whatever, and then just when it's over, just smile at people as you make your way to the door. Or if you're feeling really ambitious, go in the coffee line. Smile at people, grab your coffee, and make your way to the door. Why? Because much of church context is meant to be life around a table together. And so I want to encourage you and challenge you. If you're like, I feel disconnected, we actually have an incredible model in the life of the New Testament believers to address that, where we come together and we do community together, where we share a meal together. And if you're waiting for an invitation, just do what Jesus did. I'm coming to your house today, right? <laughs> like, you know, like, you got to pick the right person to do that with. If you ask Dan Mansell, I'm sure he'd be like, yeah, no problem, man. We'll go surfing after. It'll be awesome because he's the best, right? Or maybe you just need to flip the script and go, hey, do you want to come to my house? Or do you want to just go for a coffee this week? I just want to encourage you. And this is like not even really in my notes. But if you are feeling like you are disconnected from church, what are you doing to change that? And, like, I know that sometimes we're waiting for the magical moment of connection where we just have chemistry with someone else in the community and the Holy Spirit just kind of drags us together and we're like, now we're best friends. But God also works through our natural, guys. And so if you're feeling disconnected, I just want to encourage you, plug in. Go to Next Steps. Go to Guest Central. Talk to someone. We're going to be starting Nova Groups in a little bit. Join a Nova Group. Get plugged into a Nova Group. Ask someone to go out for coffee. Invite someone over for a meal. It's not hard, but it does take work. All right, here we go. That's a nice and heavy moment, isn't it? Thank God that we can come together and celebrate without fear of persecution. So once again, I'm not criticizing our model of church here. But what I am saying is we need to go deeper to experience the deeper things of God. So how do we do that within the church? The first point is this, if you're taking notes. Family is foundational. Family is foundational. Let me, let me ask you this question. How do you see the people sitting in the seats beside you? Strangers? Maybe the people that you do know as guests, right? Like if you were to invite someone over, how would you see them walking across the threshold of your house? My guess is the majority of us, because of the way that our culture is, view them as guests. Is that fair? Show of hands? Yeah, we would agree with that. And there are other cultures in the world, you know, where there's like sayings like, mi casa e su casa. My house is your house. Just come on over, right? My wife comes from an Italian culture where there was always people around the table. But by and large, in Canada, we take more of a, a man's house is his castle, right? And what's a castle? It has walls and a moat and a portcullis to keep people out. And I'm not trying to criticize anything here, but what I am saying is we actually need to have a shift in the way that we see other believers in the church. Not as guests, because let me tell you something. I have three kids. My house is never going to be clean enough again to have guests. It's just not going to happen. And there have been some of you that were like, we'd love to have you over when our house is one day clean, right? Because, like, legitimately, we will finish cleaning a room and we're like, whoo, three hours. That was awesome. And turn around, and the room that we had previously cleaned is now destroyed, right? But how many of you know that it's different when family comes over, right? Because they walk in, and you're like, I'm okay that there's some dishes on the counter. I'm okay that the table's not super wiped. Like, I'm okay that the garbage bin in the bathroom is kind of overflowing, maybe a little bit, right? 
But when it's a guest, you're like, oh, no, right? We clean for four hours before guests come over, and then we apologize for how messy our house is. Guys, what are we doing to ourselves? And we all know it. It's not like you walk into someone's house and go, oh, sorry about the mess, and it smells like bleach, and you're like, oh, wow, it is messy in here. You're like, oh, no, it looks great. And I know you've been cleaning for the past three hours. Like, it's just one of those things, particularly if you have kids. But when it's family, it's different, isn't it? You know, Jesus has this really funny moment where he's teaching in Matthew 12, and, and his, his family's outside. His mom and his brothers are outside. And if we could get that one up on screen, we're going to take a look at it together. As Jesus was speaking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. And someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to speak to you. I like that he repeats that. It's like, here's the context and here's what someone said. Exact same thing. Awesome. Jesus asked, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And then he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Look at what Jesus, like, it's kind of a snub. Like, can you imagine if I was, like, annoyed with my mom and I was like, sorry, mom, these are my brothers and sisters at youth group. She'd be like, get in the car, right? But Jesus in this moment is saying, no, we need to redefine something. When you are following Jesus, you are part of a different family altogether. And you're not just called to go to a thing together. That's great. It's great to come in here and celebrate with one voice and sing the liturgy that is our worship songs and listen to the teaching of the world word so that we can go out into the world and make a difference. It's great to stand here with a bunch of people that I don't necessarily know because we have the common unity of our faith. That is amazing. But we're more than just church attenders together. You're my brother. And you're my sister. As Jesus says, you're, you're, my, you're my mother or father, right? There's this moment where Jesus actually redefines what it is to be believers in community together, where he's saying, hey, guys, you're no longer just friends. You're family. You're family. And if we change the way that we see other believers, how much less of a hurdle is inviting them to come over? Because it's family. Em and I moved here from Ontario with our one son, Leo, and then we added two more sons, so pray for us. Um, but we have been here for five years now, coming up on five years, and we don't have any family in the area. We don't have grandparents. And we, we don't have, like, brothers and sisters in the area. But what we do have is a community of believers that are our family. And we have some friends that, like, legitimately, they're like, what are you up to? And we're like, nothing, come over. And if we viewed them as guests... We'd be like, in three hours, come over in three hours. But they're like, what are you doing? We're like, nothing, come on by. And there's like a diaper on the floor, and there's plates just stacked up, and the kids have somehow found a jug of milk and put it all over the carpet. And we're like, it's fine. And they come in and they're like, hey, how's it going? And there's no breakdown. There's no of that social construct of, ooh, did you not clean before we came over? Were you ready for us? Because it's like, no, we're family. We're in this. We just do life together. We can be authentic with one another. When we shift to the way, the lens that we see fellow believers with, it actually creates more willingness for hospitality in our hearts. It says this in Ephesians 2.19, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God people and members of his household, brothers and sisters together. 
A few weeks ago, Pastor Mike was talking about how eating together as a family lowers all kinds of issues. It lowers depression. It lowers suicide rates. It lowers anxiety and obesity. It lowers the chance of developing an eating disorder. It gives a stronger self-image and confidence, better social skills, all just from eating together as a family. And here's the great thing about the Christian faith. The family just gets bigger. All of that can be true for eating with one another. And this is why that's important, because if you are single and living alone in the city, you have family here. If you're a single mom, you, you have family here. If you're a transplant from another city with no grandparents, you have family here. If you're a grandparent who doesn't have kids that are living around, you have family here. If you are a widow or an orphan or an immigrant and you have no other family to speak of, you have family in the church of God. But how can we do that in the lobby? We have to be more intentional. The Wi-Fi signal is too weak to really feel like we're part of a family if all we're doing is a service together once a week. This is a celebration of what happens when we come together as family, as the family of God, to step into the way that he has told us to live and instructed us to live. This is a celebration of what God is already at work doing, not a stop-start for an hour and a half. And again, like I said, this is not evil. This is good. This is beautiful. Thank God that we can celebrate and worship freely. But there's more. There's more. The second thing is this. Presence precedes progress. So the first point there, once again, is family is foundational. The second point is this. Presence precedes progress. Presence precedes progress. Here's how important presence is. You know, we live in a culture where, like, sending a couple texts or doing a couple Instagram DMs is like, we're, we're friends, right? We send each other gifts all the time. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but let me just say this. There's something missing if we're not actually present with one another. Proverbs 20, 27, 17 says this. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Do you know what it takes for iron to sharpen iron? Contact and friction, Right? You see, sometimes we think that church community is just all about like, oh, I just really enjoy it and I feel blessed and I feel built up. But actually part of what church community is meant to be is coming together and disagreeing and not seeing eye to eye and having to work things out and having to grow deeper in relationship. Do you know who has the highest potential to hurt me? My wife. Do you know who I have the highest potential to hurt? My wife because we're close and we sometimes butt heads, and we don't agree on everything. But as we do that, we're actually growing deeper in relationship. Deep relationships often grow in the friction of presence. I've heard it said before that church would be perfect if there were no people, right? Church would be perfect if there were no people. It's when the people get involved that ministry gets messy, right? That ministry gets difficult because people have stuff that they need to work through. But here's what we look at when we look at the New Testament model, when we look at the writings in the epistles, when we look at the gospels, is that we are called to come together to work it out. We're called to come together to work it out as family, but we need presence. Here's how important presence is. God found it necessary to do it. Do you see what I'm saying? God found it necessary to be present with us. He could have continued to give us laws. He could have continued to give us ideology. He could have continued to every once in a while do some miracles from heaven to show that he's there and be like, now act better, y'all. 
But what he did is he said, I'm going to actually enter into your story and be present with you. We don't have a theology that is just intellectual. We don't just have good ideas. We don't just have ideologies. Christianity is not about just chanting mantras until we change on the inside. It's actually about presence. And without presence, there can be no progress. We are not called to just live an intellectual of faith where we give mental assent to ideas and go, well, I agree with that, and then do nothing with it. Look what James says in James 1.22. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are fooling yourselves. That's what he calls intellectual faith. That's what some of that, like, DIY, I just take some scriptures and I just apply them to my own life so that I can just, like, you know, manifest my own destiny, Right? That's what that is. He's like, no, that that doesn't work. If you really want to live this out, you need to do it. You need to be present. You need to put it into action. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. Like someone who walks away from a mirror and forgets what they look like. Making room for other people is what it takes to be present. So let me ask you, how can you make room for people? Is it by clearing a little bit of space in your calendar to have a coffee? Maybe only watching two Netflix shows a night instead of seven to have someone over for dinner? That's not a dig. Like, man, I love me some binge-watching Netflix. But how are we making margin in our life to have presence of fellow believers, brothers and sisters around our table? We need to make margin. We need to make space for people. And here's the beauty. When we make room for others, we're actually making room for Jesus to come in and do things in our hearts and in our minds to change us from the inside out. To have that kind of New Testament direction where we are bearing each other's burdens, where we are lifting each other up, where we are confessing sin, where we are asking for prayer, where we are seeing miracles. You know what Paul says in Romans 12? He says, use your gifts with one another. If your gift is to prophesy, prophesy. If it's to encourage, encourage. If it's to have mercy, do it graciously. He's saying that we need to be people who experience one another and do life with one another and use our gifts with one another, and it doesn't need to just be in here. I have had the feedback before. How can I use my gifts in a service? I don't know how to do that. And here's the beauty. You don't need to just do it in a service. You can do it around your dining room table with other believers. We should see some of the greatest miracles that we have happening in our church happen around the table. And do you know what actually happens? This gets stronger. We used to pay for like 25 megabit download speed internet, and the Wi-Fi was terrible. If you were plugged into the Ethernet cable, it was just fast enough that it could actually work. But when we upgraded our speed, our Wi-Fi got a lot better. What I'm saying is that when we get good at being a church around the table, when we get good at sharing life as brothers and sisters in Christ, when we get good at making room for the presence of other people and being present in other people's lives, what it actually creates is celebration here. We can come into this place and be like, man, God was at work this week in my life. How good is that? If you feel like you're bored with your faith, maybe give it a try to go around a table with some people. Because that's where the redemptive edge of ministry is. That's where the Holy Spirit can actually say, ask them about this. 
Talk about this. Press in on that. They need you right now. They need your generosity. They need a prophetic word from heaven. They need a prayer that is prayed with faith from you right now. God wants to use you. God wants to use you. And maybe where that looks like is around the table. It says in Psalm 22, he inhabits the praise of his people. When we come together around the table in a small group, in a small community, he is with us. He is with us to work among us. When we respond to God by opening our homes, cooking someone a meal, making some ramen, taking them out for food, going out for a coffee, we are making room for the presence of God to move in their lives. It's a beautiful thing. And the last point is this, hospitality is heavenly. Hospitality is heavenly. So once again, first point there is this, family is foundational. Second point, presence precedes progress. And the third point, hospitality is heavenly. What do I mean by that? Hospitality is actually a glimpse of heaven on earth. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah has this vision of heaven. He's having this prophetic word about heaven. Isaiah 25, 6 says this. In Jerusalem, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. And choice meat. I mean, sometimes we talk about heaven. We're like, oh, I just can't wait until I'm up on a cloud and everything is ethereal and there's just singing all the time. But what Isaiah is painting the picture of here is that heaven, man, heaven's a feast. Heaven is one of those feasts where you sit down at the table and you don't feel like you need to move all night. You are just laughing and sharing with each other. Man, how many of you have ever been to a meal where you just, you, you could never leave and you'd be okay? You know what I'm talking about? The kind of meal where you sit down and someone just has you in stitches telling a story about something from the past. You know what I'm saying? Like where you sit down and you're just enjoying each other's company so much. And maybe the conversation is just, you're just laughing, you're having a good time, and it changes sometimes to like, yeah, I'm, I'm going through this right now. And then it like picks back up again. This is the image that we actually have of what it's going to be like in heaven. What does Jesus do as his first miracle? Pastor Mike talked about it last week. He turns water into wine. He turns water into wine. A glimpse of heaven. Heaven touching earth, inhabiting earth. Through feasting. Through eating together. Through enjoying each other's company. Revelation 19.7 says this about heaven. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. And his bride has prepared herself. That's us. We're, we're the bride. We're the church. And we're going to feast. We're going to delight. We're going to share. We're going to be brothers and sisters around a table present with one another. And so what we actually have the opportunity to do is experience that here and now. You see, we pray prayers like, Father, may your kingdom come, may your will be done. We pray that prayer. We pray the Lord's prayer. But what we sometimes mean is taking the lens of how we do church. 
and pointing it at that prayer. So we think, may your kingdom come and your will be done means that, hey, may our service be full of your presence. May you do miracles. May you change people's lives. May people walk out of here healed. And Father, may we see that spread to our city where people are flooding in the doors of our church. That's what we mean by kingdom come. And I say, yes, Lord, we want that. But another way that we can experience God's kingdom is by sitting down together around a table and saying, come Holy Spirit, come be with us. Be present in this moment with these brothers and sisters as we eat together. And what we actually get in that moment is a glimpse of heaven on earth. The wedding feast of the Lamb. It's a prophetic declaration that Jesus is coming back for his church and one day we will feast with him eternally. Church, that's powerful. That's a powerful opportunity that we have to see God's kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. And we have the opportunity to step into that. And so there's just four very practical things that I'm gonna whip through right here that we can take away from this. First of all, If you haven't signed up for next week's family dinner, you got to sign up for next week's family dinner. We are going to be doing a potluck-style family dinner. It's going to be amazing. There's going to be empanadas. There's going to be tacos. There's going to be dumplings. There's going to be, I'm sure, a whole bunch of casserole-type dishes. It's going to be awesome. And what we're going to be doing next week is that glimpse of heaven, prophetic declaration of God's kingdom coming here on earth as it is in heaven. We're going to sit around the table, present with one another, celebrating with one another, enjoying each other's presence, looking at each other as brothers and sisters sitting around a table. That's the first thing that you can do. Sign up for that. You can sign up at Guest Central right after the service. The second thing you can do is this. We're about to start Nova Groups up again in March. If you're part of our dream team and you'd like to lead a Nova Group, we're going to be releasing a, uh, a form for you to fill out. We're going to be doing an interest night that's going to be coming up. We would love for you to help lead a table, for you to create space and make room for the presence of brothers and sisters at your table and in your house and or wherever it is that you do. You can do it at a coffee shop as well. But you can sign up to be a Nova Group leader or you can sign up to attend a Nova Group, be part of a community. The third thing is this. I'm bad at math, but I think we're going to have 21 meals between here and next week. Here's my challenge to you. Figure out a way to bring a family member into that meal. And when I say family member, I am talking about the church. Find a student who is trying to make ends meet and cook them a meal. Find a grandparent who is feeling lonely and cook them a meal. Find someone who just desperately needs to have some confession in their life, needs to get some sin off their chest and walk into the freedom of Jesus Christ and make them a meal. Could we as a church make room at our tables for our brothers and sisters in Christ to be present and declare the kingdom of God right in our midst. Just one. I earnestly believe that when we get that right, when we get that strong, we are going to come into this place on a Sunday celebrating about what God is doing in our midst like never before. And when we become a church that is marked by hospitality, 
marked by loving each other and bearing each other's burdens, making sure that there's no need among us, we're going to step into something that goes viral, that takes over the city. Because it's going to be kingdom of heaven on earth stuff. And the last thing is this. If you've been sitting here and you're like, man, that, that sounds good for the most part. Like, I'm challenged by that, but, you know, I'll take it on board. But if you've been sitting here and you're like, man, I, I'm, I'm out. Like, I'm not part of the family. Like, I, I guess if I were to be honest, I, I want to be part of the family. I want to be considered a part of the family and get invited into that and brought into that hospitality. But I'm not a Christian, and I, I'm here today because I have some questions. Maybe you're here today because you are just at the end of your rope. You've just had enough of trying to live your way, and you're like, man, I guess I'll give church a try. <laughs> or maybe like you're, you're just so weighed down by sin that you're like, oh, man, what can I do to relieve this guilt? What can I do to get this shame off of me? Or maybe you're, you're in this place and you used to be a Christian back in the day. You grew up as a Christian and you've just been away from God. And you're like, man, I got to get some things right. And I'm not even saying your life has been falling apart. Your life might be looking better. You might be getting a promotion at work. Things might be going great. But you're like, there's something that's missing. It's because there's no progress without presence. And I want to say to you, wherever you're at today in this place, if you're not a Christian, you're away from God, you've been living in sin, you feel the weight of it all, you're looking for answers, His presence is here today. And He wants to be with you. He wants to be present in your life, take room in your heart, inhabit your life, and change you from the inside out. He wants to invite you to the banquet. He wants to invite you to the feast. And you don't need to say yes but he wants you to because he loves you. You see, Jesus came to this earth and he walked among us and he taught us how to live, but he knew that wasn't enough. Just following rules will never get you there. Just having an ideology will never get you there. What it took was the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross to pay for your sin, the things that we did wrong against God to bring us back into connection with God. And he offers it to you freely. You don't need to pay money for it. You don't need to follow rules. But what he is saying is, hey, I have a way for you to live that is abundant. Would you make me the Lord of your life? Would you follow the way that I tell you to live? Would you step into the freedom and the promise and the presence that I have for you? That's the invitation today. He says, my yoke is easy. What I put on your shoulders is easy. It doesn't hurt. It's not ill-fitting. My burden is light. I'm not going to weigh you down. So I just want to invite you with, if I could just get everyone to just bow your head and close your eyes for a second. Just no one looking around, just for privacy. Nothing strange going on. There's nothing super spiritual about this. But if you're in this place and you're like, man, I want to become a Christian today. I want to step into that promise. I want to step into that presence. I want to step into the family. I want to be a son or a daughter. I want to come home today. Could you just on the count of three, put your hand up high enough and long enough for me to see it? One, two, three. Yeah, I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Anyone else this morning want to join these 
who are saying, I want to become a Christian. I want to live for Jesus. I don't want to live my way anymore. I want to be free and walk into abundant life. Anyone else this morning? Yeah, I see that hand. I see that hand. Awesome. Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray a prayer over you. But here's what I would love. If you raise your hand, you, you can all look up again. You can all look up again. If you raise your hand, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit right up here in the front row, and I would love to chat with you about the decision that you've just made. I'd love to pray with you. We'd love to answer some questions you may have because you're at the starting line of faith, the starting line, but there's a whole race to be run. And so I want to pray for you. Father, we thank you for these people who put up their hands, who are saying, I don't want to live my way anymore. I want to live your way. I want to step into what you have for me. Father, we pray that new life and abundant life would flow into them right now. Father God, that they would be reborn in you. God, that as they make you their Lord and their Savior, as they come to terms with what that means and wrestle it through, that your grace would characterize their lives, that they would walk with you, and that they would know you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we give it up for these people who made a decision this morning? Amazing. Well, hey, that's us this morning. Uh, what we're going to do is we're just going to open those doors. The coffee is flowing. The lobby is going to be awesome. Before you run out, say hi to someone. Make an invitation to dinner or coffee or something. We love you, church. We'll see you next week. Have a good one.